Hey everybody, welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. I'm Tony Andracki, joined by Andy Martinez. And Andy, the 2023 winter meetings just wrapped up. You're, you recently just got back from Nashville, so the question all Cubs fans want to know is, uh, what'd you have for dinner down there? Uh, dinner was uh, limited options. There was you didn't really leave the resort, but there, there was a couple good pizza spot. There, there there was a good pizza spot and a good burger spot. But yeah, it was um that was honestly like some of the most exciting things that happened that uh, over the week was, was, <laughs> was we went out to dinner. Yeah, but just because it was it was a really quiet winter meetings compared to last year, where I mean, Tony, you were in San Diego with me at last year's winter meetings, where it's like Jameson Tyon signed, Cody Bellinger signed. Um, other teams are making moves. There's action going on, and it just seemed like you couldn't catch your breath, right? It just seemed like it was just constantly go, go, go. And this year, it was kind of just wait and wait and wait. And for a brief moment on, I believe it was Tuesday, uh, it felt like there was a go coming, and then there was nothing coming. So it was, it was just in. It, it was a very uh, mellowed down winter meetings compared to compared to years prior. Yeah, and what everybody's waiting for, obviously, is Shohei Otani. I mean, the the yep. the common refrain around baseball is that as Shohei waits to to determine where he's going to go, whatever team it is that he's going to sign with, other teams around baseball are trying to are waiting as well because they need to know whether they're going to shell out a half a billion dollars or more for this guy. Whether you know they need to get a big time power hitter or go sign Cody Bellinger or whatever else what their budget looks like, <laughs> excuse me, what the rest of their offseason looks like in general. So it does make a lot of sense. But Andy, just from being down there, what sense do you get of the Shohei Otani market and specifically where the Cubs stand in the Shohei market? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. It feels like the decision is close. Um, if you would have asked me at the beginning of winter meetings, I probably would have said it would have happened then. As they went on, it was clear it wasn't going to happen during everyone's time in Nashville it feels like it come could come at some point like this weekend or maybe early next week but at the same time that's a total wild guess this is a, a free agency that's surrounded with so much mystery Jed Hoyer even talked about how there's a lot of things that happen in secrecy that maybe the fans and media and public don't get to see in terms of deals and, and things that get closer because it never gets leaked in this situation this is a really public free agent and a very it's probably the biggest free agent of all time just whether you go on salary or pedigree of the player. And we don't really know anything. I think the most information we, we got was from Dave Roberts saying that they, they had met with him in LA uh, at Dodger stadium. Like there's, there's really no information out there. So again, your guess is as good as mine in terms of like, is he signing tomorrow? Is he signing right now? As we're, as we're filming this podcast, it's a total goose chase, but my gut and just from like what I've seen and heard and, and talked to people is like, I think it comes sooner rather than later. I'm not convinced that the Cubs are the, the number one choice, but at the same time, going back to what I just said, like he could totally sign with the Cubs and I still wouldn't be shocked. Like th there's just so much unknown. I think you can ask anyone and outside of Shohei Otani and Nez Bolello, his agent, no one knows. Like I, it's, it's a wild guess. Like Maybe Craig Council and Jed Hoyer feel really, really confident, but maybe so do Dave Roberts and Andrew Friedman. And maybe that that's not even the choice. Maybe Shohei's like, I'm actually going to Toronto. Like, you just don't know with this. And it, that's what makes it so fascinating and, and so interesting is just the, the whole idea of not knowing. And and your guess is as good as my guess. Uh, my guess is as good as your guess. Uh, 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 you could ask a fan on the street, and they can probably 
have a guess just as good as, as ours in terms of what's going to happen with Shohei. Yeah, and I think something that, that Cubs fans are clinging to right now is there's not a ton of a huge link. Like, obviously, on uh, Monday it was reported that uh, Shohei was supposedly meeting with the Toronto Blue Jays and stuff like that, and obviously we know the Dodgers are in. And maybe people are thinking, well, the Cubs were super quiet on Craig Council before they got, you know, they pulled off the coup of the offseason to date so far and stole the manager from their division rival and also from the New York Mets, where a lot of people thought, you know, it, it was a fait accompli that he would either go to the Mets or come back to the Brewers, and yet here he is as the Cubs manager. So I think that's something that maybe Cubs fans are holding on to. I don't <laughs> I don't think it works the same way, right? And like, yeah. especially with Shohei Otani as a player, and when you have all these other teams that are interested in maybe going to $650 million or whatever it might be. But, you know, just in general, like, could the Cubs do that twice this offseason? I don't know. That would be pretty difficult to to pull off for sure. But like you said, I mean, that's what everybody's waiting for, absolutely, is, is just some nugget of information or, or which way Shohei is leaning. And I'm still waiting to, to see a, a tweet from Jeff Passan or Ken Rosenthal or something of Shohei close, you know, closing in on a deal with the Dodgers or whatever else. And then I feel like things will move quickly from there. But, you know, I have been pretty surprised. There, there have been some other moves that we'll get to later in the podcast here that have just come just from the last 24 hours or so of the winter meetings and then here into Thursday morning as we recorded this podcast. The, the last thing I'll say on, on the, the, the Shohei Otani stuff, when he first came to the United States, his, his, uh, the day he signed was December 8th, um, which is Friday of this week. Megan Montemurro, the Chicago Tribune, was pointing out she, she, she thinks just, uh, just given fate, it'll be on December 8th, which I, I kind of like that theory. Uh, potentially, maybe, to, maybe on Friday, we don't know. Again, that's a wild goose chase. Maybe he, there's no sentimental value, and maybe he picks December 14th or something. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I think all of us want it to happen as soon as possible. Obviously, Cubs fans want him to sign here in Chicago. So we'll see how it uh, how it all plays out and unfolds. Obviously, we'll have you covered on the Cubs Weekly Podcast on Marquee Sports Network and at watchmarquee.com where we'll have a ton of video coverage as well. But just in general, Andy, moving on from the Shohei stuff because we don't know anything else. <laughs> There's not much more to, to really discuss in that regard until we find out more. What was your main takeaway, like Cubs-centric main takeaway from the winter meetings? I think the big thing is the trade market. I think the trade market definitely feels like that's probably closer or, or at least more directly impactful for the Cubs, right? Because of the, the unknown with Shohei Otani, the one thing that the Cubs kind of can't control is what happens in the trade market, right? Some of the free agents are probably holding out, waiting for, waiting for Shohei Otani to sign. And where he goes, they can maybe – up the price on, on where they want to go after that with the trade market. It's a little, I will I'll say like in a, kind of in a different style. It's still in the same style at the end of the day, but it's still a little different. And the big name for me is Tyler glass. Now I know there's a lot of interest between, between the Cubs and, and the reds for, for Tyler glass. Now what kind of happens there? What, what does a deal look like? There was a report that it was Christopher Morrell for Tyler glass. Now, which immediately when I heard that at I thought that would be a massive overpay. I don't think the Cubs would do that straight up. Maybe there's there's some kind of workaround that they can get for Tyler Glass now. Don't think it it, it will involve Christopher Morrell, but the trade market to me is where where things get interesting. There's been other names that have been thrown around earlier in the week. There was Shane Bieber and Emmanuel Classe from Cleveland. The the trade market might work a little bit independently. Bruce Levine, a Marquis Sports Network contributor has heard that he thinks like it's a little it's being held up a little bit by the Dylan Cease market, uh, kind of like with Shohei Otani in the sense that, you know, 
Shohei Otani and all the other free agents are waiting on him. It's kind of like a bottleneck effect. Once he signs, maybe the rest of the free agents start going. Dylan Cease is probably the most prized uh, pitching target just because he has two years of control. He's a Cy Young winner. There's there's a lot of intrigue there. When he goes, do the teams that miss out on Dylan Cease, do they start pivoting towards a Shane Bieber, towards a Tyler Glass now, et cetera, et cetera? This this isn't the strongest free agent class by any means. The trade market might be where you can where you can kind of improve your team. And the other thing I'll be looking at is kind of what happens with some of the other guys on the Tampa Bay Rays right now. Uh, MLB Trade Rumors has them at a record setting a salary number for for 2024. They're going to want to shed some payroll, and, and Tyler Glass now is the big one. But there's a couple of interesting guys that are arbitration eligible that'll be making a big boost that. Might be the time to to trade them while their value is at potentially their their highest. Whether it's Isak Paredes at third base or Randy Rosarena in the outfield, those were some names that were thrown around throughout the week. That's going to be really interesting to follow and see. Yeah, I, I mean, to your point too on the Morel for Glass now straight up to to kind of fill in why it doesn't make the most sense. It just comes down to value. Glass now signed for one year, twenty five million dollars for two thousand twenty four. Morel obviously has four full years plus of, of team control and. Morell is an up-and-coming player. Glass now is very good. I mean, he has Cy Young caliber stuff. He's never thrown 130 innings in a major league season. He has dealt with injuries a lot. He has made fewer than 90 big league starts throughout his career as well. Um, so it, it just doesn't make sense in value of trading four-plus years of one guy for one year of another because the Cubs are not at a point where they're trying to go all-in on 2024. This isn't like... Um, I, I can't think of a great example of the Cubs in recent years because even when they made moves going into 2016, it wasn't just about 2016. Like bringing back Fowler was was certainly about that, but signing Hayward, adding Zobrist and John Lackey and stuff, they were trying to, to set up their window of contention, which is exactly what they're trying to do right now. Like adding Tyler Glass now is fantastic, makes the, the 2024 Cubs rotation better if the Cubs are able to pull it off. But giving up Morrell for that doesn't. And, and same for, you know, the, the price the Yankees paid for Juan Soto is crazy, I believe, for one-year rental of a guy. And, and yeah, maybe you have 10, 10 months of exclusive negotiating for a potential contract extension. But we're seeing so few contract extensions handed out lately. Soto's one year from free agency. Why would he give up uh, you know, a chance to, to go make bank as a 25, 26-year-old next winter just to sign with the Yankees right now when he could pit other teams against each other and get $500 million himself? So um, I think that's really what it comes down to. If the Cubs do trade Morrell, and again, we'll kind of talk more about that specifically later in the podcast, it would be for more value. But I agree, Andy. I think that the trade market is going to be something that bears watching specifically with the Cubs, but just in general as this offseason goes on, because the free agents aren't, you know, once Shohei signs, once Bellinger signs, once Yamamoto signs, I mean, a lot of the big guys essentially are off the board then. Yeah, and, and the, going back to your point on Juan Soto, I think what, what's interesting there is just like for, from the Cubs' perspective, in that in that situation, the price tag that the Yankees paid, it probably would have been, just seeing what it was, it probably would have been like Cade Horton, Ben Brown, and some other two pitchers, right? And to me already, that's a massive overpay for, for like you mentioned, 10 months. And one thing Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins have stressed is that, like, while this is a, an incredibly massive opportunity in terms of being in the contract in contract negotiations or the ability to get Shohei Otani, this isn't like a make-it-or-break-it free agent target. This isn't a make-it-or-break-it offseason, right? The, the hope is that they can continue to to uh, be able to be in a position where they can add from free agency when they want to when when the moment feels right maybe next year it is like a Juan Soto type type guy like they want to be able to 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 not hamstrung themselves 
where they're kind of looking at it like, oh man, like come 2027, like, or come 2026, like it's going to be, it's going to be really, really difficult. And I know fans don't want to hear that, but we saw how tough it is for some teams, whether it was the Cubs in 2021, whether it was going back, like the Detroit Tigers were, have been in a rebuild really since, since they made their, their world series run. Like those kind of things are, are real. Right. And you want to be able to contend year after year after year, like, like the Dodgers and, and teams like that. And, and the ability to do that and not hamstring hamstring yourself for for years and years is pivotal and and so these moments while while crucial are not a make it or break it like it's not going to be the the end of the it's not going to be all doom and gloom for for 2024 if if they miss out on a Shohei Otani just because the Cubs believe that they are in a place where they have a really good core whether it's with with Dansby Swanson with Nico Horner and Ian Ian Happ and Seiya Suzuki and another pitching front that if they maybe miss out on Shohei Otani, but they can answer one like a Reese Hoskins, a Tyler Glass now, you put yourself in position to where you can still contend for the Central. Is it, is it as attractive as maybe having Yamamoto and Shohei Otani? Of course not. But it still gives you an opportunity to contend. And that's what the Cubs are looking to do is to contend in 2024. And whether that means with some of the bigger fishes or, or maybe like the second tier of free agents or, or targets, that's the, that's the important thing for, for Jed Hoyer and, and his front office. Yeah, so I think that is certainly an important point is that, like, again, they're they're not looking at this as a make-or-break offseason. And there are, you mentioned Kate Horton, but Ben Brown, some of these guys coming up through the system, there are just so many guys that the Cubs feel very confident in, guys that could make their debut in 2024, as Jed Oyer just said on our Cubs 360 show on Wednesday. You know, there's guys coming up through the system, more debuts that he sees in the future to go with guys like PCA or with Jordan Wicks or some of the other guy, young guys, Miguel Amaya, that we saw make debuts that could be part of the core moving forward. But Andy, let's let's kind of stick on the Soto thing, though, for right now, because we kind of were talking about it a bit. Soto being traded to the Yankees, we already said like that would be a huge haul if the Cubs had to, had to pay that. But do you think that that does affect the Cody Bellinger market? And where do you see the Bellinger market? Because obviously the Yankees were rumored, long rumored, to be interested in Cody Bellinger. Even at the trade deadline this past season, they were rumored to be in, very interested in him. They now have their left-handed hitting outfielders. Really, they added three because they added Trent Grisham in that trade as well. And also Alex Verdugo in a trade with the Red Sox earlier in the week. So they have their left-handed hitting outfielders. They don't need Cody Bellinger. I don't think they have the, the, the salary for Cody Bellinger as well either. But like, do you see this, this trade affecting the Bellinger market? Where do you see the Cubs standing in that? What did you learn about Bellinger specifically this week? Yeah, I, I think the to me, it, from the beginning of the offseason, it seemed like Bellinger and the Yankees were taking the Cubs outside, uh, aside from this. Like the Bellinger and the Yankees were, seemed like a really, really good fit just be, in terms of needs, in terms of what Bellinger could bring. After this week, I, I mean, barring something – wild and unseen and and that's happened before but I I don't think it'll happen in this situation I don't think Bellinger to the Yankees is is gonna happen or or is really a possibility the Giants are are an interesting name to to watch we've seen them go after big free agents time and time again and and not be able to 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 get them maybe they go all in on Cody Bellinger but it's going to be interesting because I think the Cubs are going to are are wait are in that wait and see mode uh, especially with Shohei Otani and seeing where where it kind of uh, goes out from there and we there was a report out there about Cody Bellinger asking for 300 million is is he going to get that probably probably not but it's also Scott Boris on the other end and I think that's the wild card is that the, the price can get driven up really really quickly when when Boris is involved and, and what kind of happens then right and I, I'm I, I think this definitely bodes better for the Cubs just knowing that a big market 
big team like the like the Yankees are out. I don't think that means like all of a sudden Cubs Bellinger perfect matchup like it's going to happen. But I don't think it means like uh, I don't think it like by any means Bellinger to the Cubs isn't a possibility. So it, that I, I think the Juan Soto thing. If you're a Cubs fan wanting Cody Bellinger to get back, if you've got a Cody Bellinger jersey stored away in your closet, like I think it's a good thing for 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 that um, that that Juan Soto and Alex Verdugo and Trent Grisham all, all went to the Yankees because to your point, I, there's, there's not really even a roster fit. Like they, they have Anthony Rizzo at first base too. So it's like not, and Stanton it would DH-ing. be, yeah, and Stanton DHing. Right. So it's like, it's, it's almost redundant to, to, to add Cody Bellinger. And, and I, it, there's not enough spots for all these players uh, with the New York Yankees. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we did start seeing some movement, as we talked about, around the rest of the league. Uh, Jamer Candelario signing with the Cincinnati Reds for three-year, $45 million deal, uh, according to reports. I think that's a super interesting move. Eduardo Rodriguez to Arizona, who represented the National League in the World Series uh, this past fall. Um, Jared Kelenic, you know, traded to Atlanta. Eric Fetty to the White Sox. Indy, as you look around at some of these moves, I mean, I, I know my choice, but like some of the other moves that have happened around baseball besides Soto, what stands out to you, uh, especially with the direct impact on the Cubs? I think the for sure the biggest one is Jamer Candelario. I mean, that's – I probably would have put the Reds at the bottom tier of teams that would have been interested in Candelario, just given their roster shake – or makeup, excuse me. You think about what's what, what they have, right? They have a, a bunch of young infield prospects – uh, already at the major league level and some already knocking at triple a door it's at to me it kind of would have been like like the cubs have a lot of outfield uh a lot of outfield depth and a lot of outfield prospects and i know they're after cody bellinger but it's kind of a unicorn just because he can play first base but it would have been like if they were targeting uh, a prize uh, they were a, not even a prize but like a maybe like a b-level outfielder in free agency like that it, it just didn't make a ton of sense but i also get it right like it, it provides some veteran unknown offensive player to to the reds to a team that we've talked about it before whether it's on the marquee sports network app or on this podcast like the reds are a sneaky good team right they finished a game behind the cubs in the standings they finished two games out of a playoff spot adding jamer candelario definitely improves that team i thought that was the most intriguing signing for both the cubs and and so far this week uh, of the winter meetings yeah i agree 100 percent. i i think the Reds are, because they're an up-and-coming team, they signed Nick Martinez uh, as well to, to lead their rotation or be towards the top of the rotation. So now they have a veteran addition there. Emilio Pagan in the bullpen, another veteran addition there. So they've, they've made some nice moves already. Uh, like you said, they have a ton of depth on the infield. I don't know where all these guys play. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz, Matt McClain, and uh, Jonathan India all are deserving of everyday playing time, plus Spencer Steer, uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand, Noah Marte. Like, there's so many guys. So I don't know exactly how this works out. Super weird fit. I uh, just wasn't, like you said, I wasn't expecting Candelario to go there. Uh, I did think that there made some sense in coming back to the Cubs just because they need a left-handed bat. And they have openings at third base, first base, and DH, the three positions that Candelario uh, can play the best and, and will play at moving forward. So I agree 100%. I think that's the biggest move to affect the uh, the Cubs. I think Eduardo Rodriguez going to the, the Diamondbacks is pretty big as well. The Diamondbacks got another good arm to, to go with Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly up top. So um, that's super interesting, absolutely. I think that for a team that's also on the rise and, and up and coming as well. So we're going to take a quick break here in the Cubs Weekly Podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk on other things that we learned, other storylines we learned about the Cubs from the winter meetings, as well as where Christopher Morrell fits on this team moving forward. So stay tuned for that. 
We know you love Chicago. You devour the pizza, admire Chicago's skyline, and cheer on Chicago sports teams, especially the Cubs. If you wanted to live in a more boring place, you'd live in St. Louis. Why not bank with Chicago's bank too? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Wintrust Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. Show your Cubs pride and open an account at Wintrust.com Cubs. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. All right, welcome back here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Tony Andracki joined by Andy Martinez. And Andy, we touched on news around the league, but let's talk a little bit more Cubs and hone in on some of the, the stuff of the guys that are on the roster currently. It's not about Shohei or whether Bellinger will be back or whatever else. But, Andy, you know, tell us a little bit about what we learned. Like, for example, Drew Smiley, Keegan Thompson, Hayden Wesneski, like three guys we've talked about a bunch on this podcast and, and we're written about it at marqueesportsnetwork.com. But, like, where do these guys slot in the pitching staff in 2024, regardless of what happens offseason moves-wise? Yeah, they're – they, especially Keegan Thompson and, and Hayden Wesneski, were kind of supposed to be big players into 2023. I, I see, and we've talked about some of the hype regarding guys like Ben Brown and Cade Horton, and, and deservedly so. That was kind of the the talk that was surrounding last year at this time, Hayden Wesneski and, and and Keegan Thompson, right? Like they were supposed to be big pieces of 2023, and, and Jed Hoyer was pretty open saying like they didn't have the year they wanted to, but he stressed about other young players, right? Uh, just in general, how sometimes the in Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, they've all said this from from since they've been here that that uh, development isn't linear, right? So just because they had these bad seasons, just because they didn't have the seasons that they wanted, there's no belief or there's no reason to believe that that's who they are as players, right? They he mentioned that he wouldn't be shocked if those guys in 2024 are key pieces of of the pitching staff. But they also have to do that, right? At the end of the day, like you have to go out there and prove. Hayden Wesneski had flashes towards the end of the year, right, where he looked good out of the bullpen. Does that mean is he a reliever, is he a starter? We don't know yet. The other guy you mentioned, Drew Smiley, to that point, he was a really, really good starter at the beginning of the season. Really, really struggled and and was was it was kind of like a uh, it was a tough thing coming up in the rota- when his name came up in the rotation. Then he went to the bullpen. He was pretty good out of the bullpen. He was probably the Cubs' most trusted reliever down the stretch when, when injuries and, and ineffectiveness kind of hit the the Cubs' bullpen. He's going to be stretched out as a, as a starter, and and then kind of go from there. That was the big thing that Jed Hoyer mentioned about Smiley's. Like, they want to get these guys stretched out because you can always kind of go back to to shorter term if they're stretched out. You you can't be like, all right, Drew, you're going to be a reliever. You're going to be ready one inning. And then it's like you need that that length, and he's not stretched out. So that, those were the, the, the takeaways from, from Drew Smiley. And then, with, with like I mentioned with Wisniewski and Thompson, it's all about just seeing their development and seeing if they can get back to where they were at this point last offseason, right, where it's showing that they can be viable pieces. And I think that's, that's an important thing to know is, like, pitchers, can, pitchers and young players especially – the, the there's no there's no reason to believe that they can't succeed after after some down years right we, we or some down ineffective time we saw with Justin Steele he wasn't the, he he wasn't the greatest pitcher in 2021 or, or or in 2022 he started showing improvements this season he's a Cy Young candidate right those are the kind of things that they're hoping for with guys like that yeah so I mean to talk, to your point too just about things that we're not necessarily expecting on the pitching staff I mean Kyle Hendricks is a guy that I have a big question about because there were so many questions leading into 2023 about him, about where he 
fit on the roster, whether he can come back from the shoulder, capture their tear, and, and pitch effectively. He did, and then his future was in doubt in some ways because the Cubs had a $16.5 million option. They picked it up now, so he's back for 2024, but that's it. You know, He's not signed. There's no other team option. What did you learn anything from winter meetings? Like what's his future with the team? Um, you know, he, he seems like he has some good years left. It seems like a guy that would be uh, a stalwart in the rotation moving forward, but signed to only one year here. Yeah. The Cubs really like him and, and the Cubs want to have him back and, and probably, probably as a, as a Cub for life. And, and that's the, that's not necessarily the priority right now. They have, because of that option there, they have that certainty for 2024 and, like we mentioned earlier on the podcast, there's there's looming decisions on on Shohei Otani, free agents, trade market. That that's kind of where the priority is, and and they might revisit that later in the off season, maybe in spring training, to try and work something out longer term. But they want to keep him, but they also realize like because he has that contract, because he has that security, that's not necessarily a priority going into going into December, just the the middle of December. All right, and then we've talked so much about Bellinger. If Bellinger's not back. Mike Talkman is available in center field. Uh, we know Alexander Canario is an option as well. And then Pete Crow Armstrong is the, the Cubs' top prospect, one of the top prospects in baseball. Where do you see that playing out, Andy, specifically with PCA and Canario? Will one of them be the opening day center fielder? Uh, just what do you make of those two young guys' chances of making the opening day roster? So I'll start with PCA. Cubs fans, we Everyone knows about what he is, his pedigree, one of the top prospects in baseball, a really good defensive center fielder. It was showcased late in, late in the year with the, with the Cubs. I think they're going to give him every opportunity to make the opening day roster, whether it's, that's the opening day center fielder or maybe the, at the start as the fourth outfielder. That's going to be the plan. And his defensive prowess merits that, right? It would be no different than if you had a, a, you signed a veteran to be your fourth outfielder that's a defensive specialist. I think that's, that's kind of where it'll start. The hope is that the offense starts clicking right away at every level that he's been at, when he starts, whether it's double A AA or triple A, when he starts, he sh- he usually struggles offensively. Then he kind of gets it going. We saw that at, at, in Tennessee this year. We saw that at, in triple A this year. The hope is that kind of experience that he got in September, that taste of the major leagues, can maybe fuel him and, and realize like, all right, this is what I got to work on. This is what I got to do. So that come spring training, he can take those steps where he can be the, the center fielder. And I, the Cubs are going to give him that opportunity to be the, the everyday center fielder, but they're not going to just give it to him. They're not going to give it to him just on, on name and merit. He's going to have to earn it. And, and I think that's how we would want it. And that's what the Cubs hope is with Canario, another, a really interesting prospect. They got him the Chris Bryant deal. Obviously there's a lot of question marks about him because of the injury that he suffered last year in winter ball and just the recovery that it came. He reached the major leagues. It's supposed to be his last option year in 2023. The Cubs are pretty confident, pretty hopeful that they'll get a fourth option year, meaning there's no pressure on having to either make the opening day roster and, and keep them up just because they can't option them down or have to trade them or that kind of thing. Like They can kind of ease the pressure off of him a little bit and let him go through a spring training normally. Uh, it'll be his first offseason healthy since for a while, honestly, if you think about some of the injuries he's had in his minor league career. So to be able to have that and, and be able to go through a normal offseason, go through a spring training, he's playing a little bit of winter ball. The hope is that you can get him in a position where he could compete for that fourth outfield spot. And if not, there's no pressure that they can option him to Iowa and have him as depth. It's it's a it's a good position to be in if they for sure can get that fourth option year. Yeah, that would be huge. I mean, to to almost have to keep him on the 26-man roster would certainly not be an ideal situation for the Cubs, given the rest of the roster layout. But 
given that roster and, and a guy we've already talked about in this pod, Christopher Morrell. I mean, Andy, what did you learn just from winter meetings? Talking, to, I know Craig Council talked a bit about Morrell, but where do you see him fitting in, assuming he's not traded? We know his name's already been out there, as we talked about. Like the value, super important with him. He's a he's a young hitter, that very exciting hitter, swing and miss, but like real intense power that the Cubs don't have. Like they don't have that instant offense from anybody else in the lineup. Even Bellinger was phenomenal, obviously this past season. But Morell, you felt like was the bigger homer threat for most of the time. Like any swing, any pitch, he could take one out. Bellinger, obviously, a better all-around hitter and contact hitter. But like, where do you see Morell fit in? What what does Council think of Morell and and how he might be able to utilize him next season? Yeah, Council really liked him in his comments. Uh, I know we've we've posted on social media from from uh, at Watch Marquee just you know that, that he has to be in the lineup every day and to your point like it, it, it kind of has to be when you know that at any point he could hit it like a 450 foot home run like that you kind of want to have that instant offense in, in your in your lineup at the GM meetings last month Jed Hoyer mentioned that he's going to be getting some work in for at first base and if you look at at the Aguilas Cibaeñas in in the Dominican Winter League you look at their 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 game logs, their lineups every day. Christopher Morrell has not been there at first base, and it's kind of like, well, he's how's he getting those reps? The Cubs have sent some coaches down there to get get some reps. He's playing third base, which I think is also a bit, just as big of a storyline, if not bigger than, than the whole playing first base thing, because if he's getting those reps every day at third base, that can also help him too, just in that game action. That maybe that's an option for the Cubs at third base. But to your point on the trade market, uh, I still think I know I know there there's. There was some some reports about him being a, a trade target. I still think that at the end of the day, he could be their their most valuable trade chip, right? Every every prospect, there's still that uncertainty, right? Whether even like with a guy like PCA, like you still don't know what he could be. Christopher Morrell at the major league level has shown what he can be, and that's really really valuable. Like you know that you're gonna get yes, you're gonna get a lot of strikeouts, you're gonna get a lot of swing and miss, but you're gonna get like 25 home runs maybe even more as he continues to, to learn the game and, and know his approach a little bit better. That's really, really valuable to, to, to teams that want to trade for, for, or are willing to trade known commodities. Like it's more valuable to trade someone younger in the major leagues that you know what they are, as opposed to that wild card of a prospect, even the top prospects, there's still that uncertainty of like, like, what if, like, what if Christopher Morrell, there's, there's less of a, what if just because you, he's done so much at the major league level. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly one of the most exciting, uh, likable players on the roster. I know fans would obviously be very upset if the Cubs ended up trading him away. There would be no more shirtless home run celebrations. Well, maybe there would be, but certainly not by Morrell uh, if that were the case. But yeah, no, I, I think it's very interesting. And it'll be a very interesting storyline, assuming Morrell sticks here in Chicago, to, to just hear more about what Council's vision is. Because we know how David Ross viewed Christopher Morrell. And, uh, you know, we know Morrell struggles defensively at multiple different positions, whether it's third base or even outfield or whatever else. But new manager in, a, a guy who uh, has excelled at, you know, utilizing platoons and getting the most out of players in the past in council. I think it will be very interesting just to see uh, where where Morrell fits in because the Cubs, like we said, have openings at DH and third base, first base as well if he continues to learn that position. Bryce Harper picked it up on the fly, so maybe Morrell can too, who knows. But just in general, I think council's you know, already, just even with the, some of those statements, um, is putting his fingerprints on the roster a little bit. We're seeing a little bit of that, we're, we're, we're learning how he has interacted with Jed and with Carter and 
with some of the other Cubs front office members. And he's only been around for not even a month so far. But Andy, just in getting a little bit more time to talk with him or to ask Jed and Carter about, about Craig Council, how is he fitting in seamlessly? Like, what else have you learned about the Cubs' new manager here? Yeah, it's. I, I know I told the story earlier on on the on last edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. If you didn't hear it, the, the the Cliff Notes version of it, he's in the office one day. He's in a hoodie. He's he's with his glasses on, some Jordans on, and Carter Hawkins, Jed Horror walk by, and they're like, "Who's the new R and D guy?" And it's 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 Craig Council. He was getting to learn the interface. He wants to know it. He was already offering pushback right on the on on the system, and and he he wants to have those conversations right where it's like, "All right, this is." this doesn't work or this is where we can improve. This is what we could do. And the Cubs want those conversations to have those outside voices. And Craig Council really provides that. Like you mentioned, he's got a, a winning pedigree. He's got a really good uh, re- resume from his time in Milwaukee. He knows how one team does it, but he doesn't know how other teams do it. The Cubs have a lot of guys from, from that they've brought up through their own system and a lot of guys that they've brought over from like the Red Sox, uh, where, where Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein originally originated but they've started to bring in guys like Esan Bakari, assistant GM, Jared Banner, uh, assistant GM who was with the Mets, uh, Carter Hawkins who was with Cleveland. Like there's these outside voices that are that are kind of all talking to each other and Craig Council's that latest voice and that voice might be the most important just given that he has the direct impact with the players. He has the direct contact with the coaches. He ha- he's in there every single day and, and can can provide the feedback and can provide the experience from Milwaukee, the the experience from his playing career. I think that that uh, marriage of, of information is beneficial to the Cubs, and that's what they're already seeing. They're 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 constantly talking. Um, Craig's still living in in Milwaukee right now, but he's commuting once a week down to Chicago to 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 to, to spend time with these guys and, and get to know them and pick their brain and 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 figure out the these players. But Council's also beyond like looking at the twenty six guys, beyond looking at at the big names like. We all know what Dansby Swanson is, and we know that he's going to be the the opening day shortstop for the Cubs. But he wants to know, like, all right, who are some of these prospects that I, that that might be coming up? Who are some of these pitching prospects that could be bullpen depth in in twenty twenty four? He wants to know all of that so that he could be in a position where come the season, like, if something happens to a to a pitcher and they have to call up someone from AAA, he already has some background knowledge on what this guy can do. How the how we can help the the team and and I think that's really really valuable and, and really really crucial into just who Craig Council is and and how he's trying to get ready for for 2024. Yeah, now at this point it's just about getting him more players on the roster. Uh, obviously, the Cubs yeah. still have a lot they need to do on their offseason checklist for Jed Hoyer and, and Carter Hawkins. So uh, stay tuned here to the Cubs Weekly Podcast, to Marquee Sports Network, to the new Marquee Sports Network app to watch Marquee Sports Network or watchmarquee.com or marqueesportsnetwork.com. Uh, either one, just check us out. We'll have all of your Cubs offseason news with stories from Andy or myself or uh, Cubs 360 shows on TV throughout the offseason. That will do it for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. As always, we are presented by Wintrust. Thanks for tuning in and watching and check us out in video form on the new Marquee Sports Network app. Thanks again.